The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. One of the greatest compliments I've ever had paid about this church was just a few weeks ago. And someone said to me, you know, the thing I like about this church, you're honest. You're honest. Thank you, Bill. And Lisa. To be honest about the struggles. And it's not easy. But you know, the word of God is brutally honest. And so we had this really fun passage last week where... God was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Wasn't that so exciting? And, um, man, tough passages. And then having worked my way through that passage then this morning, the passage doesn't actually get a whole lot more encouraging at first sight. And our reading last Sunday, as God prepared to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, one of the two men, one of the the two angels who had come to Lot's home said to him, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said, no, my lords, please. I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. It's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. The angel granted Lot's request, and we're told that by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And this morning we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also and the younger daughter went in and slept with him and again he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Benami, and he is the father of the Ammonites of today. Think back over the journey of the past 25 years for Lot and Abraham. 
For us, the journey started on the 12th of March, and we were in Genesis 11.31. We read that Terah took his son Abraham, or Abraham as he was then, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Following Terah's death, Abraham and his entourage, Lot included, had headed south to Canaan, and on the 16th of, the March, of March, we were in Genesis chapter 13, where we read, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Picture that. Possessions so great. Flocks and herds and tents. Possessions so great that they could not coexist. And now it's Lot and his two daughters living in a cave. Lot has lost everything. Absolutely everything except his two daughters. And they're living in a cave. I'm not sure if there's much more of a tragic ish, uh, image in Scripture. Even before we try to get our heads around the things that happened in the cave. Having ignored the directives to flee to the mountains, instead negotiating the shorter trip to Zor, a small town close by, very quickly Lot and his daughters leave Zor and go to the mountains because Lot is afraid to live in Zor. This place that he chose as his place of escape carries equal torment. It may be that the locals know that Lot and his daughters have just escaped out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that smoking heap just up the road, and that the locals know that their town's no better and they could be the next to fall, so they're not keen to welcome Lot and his daughters. It's also quite possible, in fact I think more likely, that Lot feels incredibly uncomfortable and unsafe in Zur, because he realises that this place is no different from the place that he has lived in 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes that Lot was a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that Lot was this bad guy. Peter the Apostle Peter describes him as a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the things around him. While Lot had chosen to move to live to a place in the plains near Sodom and Gomorrah, and while he eventually came to live in Sodom, that doesn't mean that he found living in Sodom comfortable in his spirit. It wasn't a totally pleasant experience, but, but for some reason still he stayed Probably for more than 15 years, he stayed. He'd noted when he parted 
company with Abraham that the land was a good land. It was well watered like the garden of the Lord or the garden of Eden. It was like the land of Egypt. It was a good and pleasant place which is why he chose to go there. There was a reason why, as we read in the following chapter, in chapter 14, why the kings of the north would come down and keep control over that area because it was a profitable land. It was a, it was a prosperous area. And the people of the land, the people of the land were well-fed, well-off, and very comfortable, thank you. Well, Ezekiel says they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and needy, but... When you initially look on it, they were kind of comfortable. They were well-fed, even if Ezekiel says they were overfed. And they were unconcerned. There was something, in a sense, attractive about both the, the land and about the people. Something that enabled Lot to somehow overlook this, this thing within him that was this torment in his righteous soul. Remember that Abraham and Lot had been raised in the same household. They'd spent many years together accumulating wealth, great wealth. And in the years since then, Abraham has been learning to live by faith, learning to listen for and to listen to the voice of God. Lot, on the other hand, has been choosing to live by the flesh following the desires of his heart, doing that which seemed good. He wasn't pursuing evil. He didn't join in the debauchery that was around him. But he was looking for the comfortable life, the easy life. And Proverbs tells us that there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The easy life comes with a hidden and very high cost. Sooner or later, you pay the price for living the easy life. The right path now comes at a cost. There is a price to pay and lasting rewards. You know, I've heard it too often. Come to Jesus and your life's going to be wonderful. We don't make that promise. Because Bill's testimony, and I can relate to your testimony, Bill, is some days are just hard. Some seasons of life are hard. But as Mike shared, to whom else shall we go? God alone has the words of life. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to have the good things, you can have them for a season, but you will lose everything. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit, lose their very self? That which looks so promising, so prosperous, so comfortable in the southern plain near Sodom, it's cost lot everything. And now having fled to Zor, he is overcome by fear 
And he now does what the angel first proposed that he did. He fled to the mountains. And he finds himself living in a cave. When one thinks about it, when one imagines the angels first directing Lot to flee to the mountains, one imagines that he was suggesting that he flee to the mountains in the west. Because you see down at the bottom where Zor is, and if he'd fled west, he could have then travelled up through the hills and returned to Uncle Abraham. Remember Uncle Abraham, he was the one who rounded up the family and followed the kings of the north all the way up north and engaged in battle with them to recover Lot. This is Uncle Abraham would do anything for his nephew. What a great opportunity that would be, but it seems instead that Lot fled to the east because later on that is where the Moabites and the Ammonites, the descendants of Lot, live. But it seems that for now they have not only fled from destruction, they have now fled from community. Maybe it was pride that stopped them returning to live with Abraham. It was certainly fear that drove him from Zor. And it seems likely that living for so long in the midst of such evil and seeing the same evil in Zor, maybe the isolation of the cave seemed quite attractive at first. How often, when we find ourselves in a tough place, rather than reaching out to those who love us, who care for us, who would do anything for us, how often, rather than reaching out, do we retreat further into ourselves? It's a safe place away from the crowds, because you can't trust the crowds anymore. They're all the same. In Zodom, Sodom, in Zor. And so we find ourselves becoming increasingly isolated, sometimes even in the middle of a crowd. You know the whole idea of being alone in a crowd? We retreat into ourselves rather than reaching out. A couple of months ago I completed a word search or word study through the Bible looking at each occurrence of the word cave. And I'd have to say this passage in Genesis 19 is probably the worst cave experience in Scripture. Some of them are wonderful. There are some amazing God experiences it's been said that God does some of his best work in caves. I noted that while some went into their cave in response to the call of God, others, a lot like Lot, a lot like Lot went there in fear, running away, seeking safety and an escape. And that doesn't matter why you end up in the cave. What matters is what you do in the cave because the devil as we see in this passage can have a field day in the cave you can read some of these things in the uh, cave section of our chapel website because we do talk about the importance of the cave 
the importance of taking time away from the crowd, time alone, just spending time with God. But what became abundantly clear as I studied through the scriptures about caves is a cave is not somewhere you want to live and stay. It's a great place for a season, but we are not called, we are not created to live in caves. We are created to live in community. We are created for relationship. And so here in the isolation of the cave, Lot's daughters begin despairing of ever having children. Don't forget that back in Sodom, they were engaged to be married. They'd have anticipated that the next step beyond that would be starting a family. And of course now their fiancés have perished in the destruction of Sodom. And the two girls fled with their father to Zor long enough for fear to drive them out to the mountains and a cave and then, and then, one day. We don't know how long they lived in that cave. I don't imagine it was the day after they arrived that the girls came up with this plan. I don't imagine that Lot's daughters came to the decision, come up with this plan quickly or easily. But one day, I imagine, over time they began thinking, how much longer will we be living in this cave? Dad clearly has no intention of leaving this cave. And we want children. After all, everyone all over the world gets to have children. It's a custom all over the earth. As we know, everyone is doing it. There's a lousy reason for doing what everyone is doing. And they knew that Dad would never approve of the plan. That's why they had to get him drunk. I do still struggle to understand how they came to the point. Michael and I were talking before the service about how most of us intrinsically know that some things are just wrong. So how low do you get to figuring this is a good plan? How long does it take to get to that place? let alone to go through with the plan two nights in a row. First the elder daughter and then the younger. But then I remember that Lot was a righteous man. These, these two girls, although Lot was a righteous man, these two girls have spent 15 years of their lives living in Sodom. And when you think of the age at which girls would marry in that sort of context, that may be almost all of their lives. They had lived surrounded by this depravity. It caused me to think of a situation in the early church, one that the Apostle Paul addresses when writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a city in some ways not unlike Sodom. It had a reputation for licentious living. One source says that in classical Greek, to act like a Corinthian meant to be sexually immoral, and a Corinthian companion was a prostitute. The immorality was permitted, even encouraged, under the widely popular worship of Aphrodite, also known as Venus, 
the goddess of fertility and sexuality. That's what Corinth was like where Paul saw this church growing. And yet in 1 Corinthians, he writes, it's actually reported that there is sexually that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. It's like, this is this pagan city known for its immorality and Paul's writing to someone in the church saying, you're tolerating this thing that even the pagans in this pagan, idolatrous, immoral city don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? And then in verse 9 he continues, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Paul says, you can't avoid associating with immoral people. After all, those are the kind of people that Jesus has sent us to. He sent us to take the gospel to the broken. But that doesn't mean that we can live like they do. Lot had lived in Sodom for at least 15 years, but he didn't participate in the evil. But Lot's daughters are another case. Keep in mind that they'd been engaged to two young men from Sodom, and when the crowds came, we read last week, that when the crowds came to try to force their way into Lot's house, the crowd included all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old. I can't help getting past the fact that these two young men that his daughters were engaged to were part of that crowd outside the door. And Lot's daughters had grown up in this environment. The saying says, it takes a village to raise a child. And my advice would be, choose your village very carefully. As Paul says, we are not to abandon the world, but don't let the world penetrate and permeate your village. Don't abandon the world, but don't let the world penetrate and permeate your village. Included in the thinking that underpins the work of our next-gen team, the, those who work with our children and our youth here at the chapel, included in that thinking is an understanding that our kids need five to seven significant other adults in their lives who say the same thing, and I would say, and live the same thing that any loving parent would live and say. You need to find people who love your kids like you do, who love God like you do, who choose to seek after God like you do. My hope and my prayer is that this church will be increasingly just such a safe village for those children and young people that God bring within our care.
within our sphere of influence. And those passages from Paul's writing to Corinth about dealing with sin in the midst is a key part of creating just such a place, a safe place for our families, that we are not removed from the world that we are sent to, but we do retreat to our village and safety. We have people who speak into the lives of our kids what we would speak into the lives of our kids. People who live out before our children what we would live out. And then part of the challenge comes, are you taking the opportunity to build the relationships with some of our children and young people, that they would build relationship with you and connect with you and see God at work in you. Sadly, the influence in Lot's family was deeply damaging to his daughters and down through the generations to follow. Zephaniah would later write, I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites, these are the descendants of Lot, who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord of God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits and wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them and the survivors of my nation will inherit the land. Lot may have left Sodom, but the thinking, the lifestyle, the immorality it followed down through the generations. Lot knew something different, but his daughters, because of his choices, grew up in a place where they knew no different. But it didn't have to be that way. Because if we go back again to the beginning of the story when Terah takes Abraham and Lot and his family and take them out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Ur was a place of great idolatry. And we know that Terah, the father of Abraham, the grandfather of Lot, was an idolater. He made and sold idols. And out of that situation, two men come. But following the call, the voice of God, Abraham and his descendants are on a new path. And we're going to continue to follow their journey. They have a future. They have a future filled with hope. Because Abraham faithfully sought. Even when he failed, he came back to God. When he messed up, he came back to God. He kept listening for the voice of God and following the voice of God. But Lot, yes, he was a righteous man, but he was not wise enough to keep his daughters and his descendants from a more destructive path. And of course, I was reminded by Bill this morning that even out of that depth of that destructive path, God called Ruth, a Moabite, to become the ancestor of our Saviour. So no matter how far the line goes, God can still reach in. There's no guarantees one way or the other here, but we can walk in wisdom. Abraham sets before us an example of what it means to live by faith, learning often through times of failure to listen for the voice of God, to trust him when you fail and to turn back. Our children will follow our example far more than they'll follow our words. You can say all that you like, but if your actions are different, they will live by your actions. And if you choose to live in a place that puts them at risk, 
don't be surprised when they fall to that risk. Paul offers this advice to those who choose not only to leave the old city, but also to leave the old thinking behind. I read a book once called uh, Moses as a Political Leader, and it talked about the 40 years that the children of Israel spent in the wilderness. And he said there are a whole bunch of reasons given in Scripture why that happened. But he said primarily that generation who died in the wilderness in that 40 years had been born as slaves, and they never learnt to think like free men. It was the generation that was born in the wilderness, learnt to think and live like free men, who had what it took to go in and take care, take over the promised land. And so Paul says, don't just leave the old city, leave the old thinking behind. And in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. May God lead you. May God bless you and your families. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.